is a podcast about Jeopardy. Hello, and welcome to Potent Potables. I'm Emily. And I'm Kyle. We competed against each other on Jeopardy. Kyle ended up winning seven games, which got him his Tournament of Champions bid. And we've been chatting about the show ever since. Uh, Each show, we start with analysis and commentary on this week's Jeopardy! episodes. Then we move on to a deep dive into a questioner category that was in those episodes. And at the end, we have a quiz. And today, dear listeners, you are in for a special treat because we will also have... Emily's predictions for the Tournament of Champions, which begins next week on Monday the 4th, featuring yours truly in position number one. Uh, Before we go on to commentary on the episodes, um, a quick correction uh, from last week. It is often said that if you're going to write trivia questions, you need to fact check every part of them and be careful not to add or change anything right before you ask the questions because that's where errors get in. It's a lesson I should have learned. The show Outlander is on Stars. It's not on HBO, it's a Stars show. Uh, so thanks to Jamie Tyrrell for pointing it out to us and uh, sorry for my error. And uh, with that, let's go on. Yes. I mean, we, we could keep dwelling on your mistake. <laughs> that sounds like a lot of fun, but we should move on for the sake of time. We're Jeopardy people. We like accuracy. Accuracy oh, is important to us. So true. So true. Absolutely. And uh, we're in luck because I wrote the quiz this week, so we'll probably have at least five corrections to do next week. But we'll, <laughs> but we'll see. Somehow I doubt uh, that. Yeah. Uh, we'll find out afterward. All right. Uh, Monday, October 28th, our show featured Steve Moulds, a playwright from Louisville, Kentucky. Diana Smith, a scheduler planner from Memphis, Tennessee. So a couple of a couple of people living close to each other. And then our returning champion, Chris Prue, a customer service representative from Toronto, Ontario, uh, who won a boatload of cash on Friday, thirty-seven thousand six hundred dollars. I thought the uh, the Halloween traditions and just give us the candy were mm-hmm. fun, um, and it reminded me of uh, a kind of fun tip I picked up, a helpful tip, if you are going to be on Jeopardy, uh, is to back out when your episodes are going to air, um, because they tape, you know, a couple months in advance or so, and see if you can figure out um, whether there are any important seasonal things around that time, because Jeopardy does like to do seasonal categories, things around holidays, things around um, sporting events, uh, award ceremonies, all kinds of stuff that comes up uh, in the calendar. And so that can be a good way to um, study something that might be that's, relevant. That's true. That's a good point. Uh, but yeah, the Halloween traditions I, I really liked. Um, that was a fun fun category. I've noticed um, the question about bobbing for apples, uh, going back to a celebration of the goddess Pomona, that has come up a lot in like various places for me recently, like other other trivia places or just like people mentioning it or just like coming across it in some weird, you know, like it's mentioned on a TV show or in a movie that I'm watching or somewhere. Um, so I won't forget it now because I've heard it like four times in the last week from different sources that for some oh, reason, kind of for some reason, bobbing for apples is related to the goddess Pomona. Yeah, I love when things come up in multiple contexts. I feel like that's kind of mm-hmm. fun. 
I've said fun like 900 times already on this podcast. That's okay. It's a fun show. <laughs> um, it is a fun show. Yeah. Oh, I had a personal connection. If I, Actually, I should hold it until we're in Double Jeopardy. Okay. Do we have anything else to say about Single Jeopardy? Uh, not really, other than I was kind of weirded out when Alex read the Butterfinger clue and then was like really, really, really like threatening toward Diana. And he was like, yeah. Oh, yes. That, that, that put me off. But you know what? You know what? <laughs> he, he's got some, uh, he's, he's earned some of that. Yeah, Alex is going to do what Alex <laughs> is going to do. Um, de- deliver the letter surprised me. Um, because I was anticipating a category about like the U.S. Postal Service, mm. maybe, and it turns out that it was the letter of the alphabet. They ended up doing it uh, top to bottom, which uh, is kind of lucky because it would have been hard to start that one from the bottom. Yeah. Um, yeah. One thing, one question that or clue that could have been in that category that I have to teach beginning string players is. Uh, little aside you know on like violins and and cellos and all that they're the little they're the little Mm -hmm. like cutouts on the body next to the next to the bridge where the strings cross over um those are called f holes f hole yes which always makes middle school kids giggle Mm -hmm. and what if it right in with this category and i was actually expecting that to come up and then and then the 800 dollars clue was f stop and i was like ah well guess they're not gonna say it guess they're not gonna say it all those, all those instruments have G strings. They do, too. which, you know, surprisingly yeah. few jokes, surprisingly few jokes come out of kids' mouths about when I say like, no, I, put your finger on your G string. Usually they just do what I ask, and and it doesn't cross their mind to make the joke. Either the kids are more mature than they were when I was a, a young violinist. That or, is that uh, is false. Yeah. <laughs> they are not. <laughs> maybe maybe this maybe the term G string has fallen out of uh, popular use among that generation. I don't know. Maybe. I'm not sure I could describe it as popular use, but like it definitely made kids snicker when I was a kid. Sure, sure. I don't know. Maybe maybe my musicians are just so committed to learning that their mind isn't even in that space. That must be it. That must be it. I'm going to stick with that and not ponder it anymore. All right, Double Jeopardy. <laughs> yeah. I had a personal connection to a clue. It's pretty far into the round, um, but Daily Double, the the, uh, the first Daily Double of the round, um, mm-hmm. category pen names, clue, a perfect spy could tell you it's the pen name of the British novelist born David John Moore Cornwell. I have a Cornwell, uh, a, a a person whose last name is Cornwell, who goes to my church, who is the nephew of uh, John Le Carre. <gasps> so, wow. Yeah. That is awesome. Um, yeah. So, uh, so we've had a, we've had a few conversations, and as soon as I saw Cornwell and spy novelist, you know, I, mean, I, uh, I mean, I would have had it anyway, but it was it was fun to see it was fun to see that one. Sure. I went to Ian Fleming also because it was an $800 clue and I at $800 I usually like the you know first and second rows I usually just go with whatever pops into my mind first and then yeah. he said and then he went no it's John le Carre and I was like oh yeah mm-hmm. that's the other one so yeah yet another author that I have on my list of many many books that I need to read yeah I should probably read some John le Carre given the personal connection I just mentioned so oops oops <laughs> don't yeah. worry we can edit that yeah. part out. Um, 
I'm not going to edit that part out. Okay. <laughs> the other Daily Double, I thought, was... I don't know. I One of, one of the things that always sticks in my mind is, like, this is just uh, a set of facts that any Jeopardy player should know is, like, the seven... Uh, like the ancient wonders of the world. Kyle. What? <laughs> oh, oh, dang. Oh, dang. Oh, no. Uh, all right, listeners. So you should know that I tanked on daily double number three. Oh, no. Uh, oh, no. By not knowing the mausoleum at Alucard Nassus. Well, it's not that you didn't know it. Well, no, I did. I, I, knew, I knew of it. I, di- I didn't make the connection. Um, right. It was... In- like you know that one of the wonders is the mausoleum of Halicarnassus, right? Yes. But it <laughs> yeah. It it was the way that the question was asking. It was asking for this tomb, and and yes, I I thought that it was asking who was inside the tomb, right? Uh, because yeah. because the term mausoleum has simply come to mean tomb, even though. Right. As we, like, I didn't know. I don't know that I would have said mausoleum because I was thinking the same thing you were. I was like, well, they already said tomb. So it's not just yeah. like the mausoleum because mm-hmm. that would be yeah. whatever. Um, I, I apologize. I did not mean to put you on blast <laughs> no, right there. No oh, apology no. necessary. Oh, no. <laughs> Oof. No, yeah, everyone should know the seven wonders of the ancient world. That's, uh, that's, my, that's my one piece of advice, actually. Yeah. For... <laughs> uh, yeah, no, every, everyone should know the seven wonders of the ancient world. That's really important. Yeah. And so the, I mean, that was the, that was the clue in that, in that clue, I guess, was to have the hundred foot tall colossal statue, which I'm, I mean, yep. he got. And so that was, that was pretty good. Yeah. Everything else, um, everything else went smoothly throughout this, uh, yep. throughout this game. So yep. Smart wagering in final. Yep. Yeah. Smart wagering. Uh, everyone got it was good and that that led to steve being champion which i i felt steve played a very strong game and yeah definitely i could see him moving on for a while so let's go on to tuesday's game so we have uh anthony giordano a plumber from walpole massachusetts uh we've got carrie bale a stay-at-home mom from san jose california and we've got steve molds coming back as our returning champion with twenty one thousand two hundred and one dollars indeed i I loved the Star Spangled Banner category, partially because you know I I'm a music person, so I appreciate when like the the other verses are recognized. I realize that they're just like words and they have no feelings, so they they're not insulted for being like ignored. But talking about the <laughs> other the other verses in the Star Spangled Banner, I was like, yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. But I thought the I thought the clues were like accessible even for people who don't know who have never heard the other verses. Yes, I was not familiar with the other verses and I and I did get uh, most of the most of the clues in this category. Um, I liked that you had to there was one where you could just get it by rhyming. Um, mm-hmm. there was one where you could get it uh, by knowing the history um, uh, Fort McHenry. I didn't know the other verses of the Star Spangled Banner, but I um I, I'm a little bit of a hymn nerd, and I get frustrated when people say, oh, well, let's just sing the first two verses it's like, of everything. Yeah, they wrote, <laughs> they wrote more for a reason. Yeah, and like the last one is usually last because it sort of brings everything together, um, you know, and so if you sing the first two, you're sort of leaving off kind of in the middle. Uh, yeah, it's like... I mean, obviously you are, but... Yeah, it's like reading five chapters of a 20-chapter book. It's like, well, yeah. I mean, I guess you get 
the idea of the book sort of but you're not you're not finishing it you're not there yeah yeah uh, the other ones, the other categories were, were nice. I like the idioms category. I like idioms. It was a fun one, uh, yeah. And gargoyles. I appreciated the $200 clue because a lot of people uh, are not aware that gargoyles serve a like functional purpose, or at least they're supposed mm-hmm. to. And that's actually why they're called gargoyles, because as the rain uh, goes through them, it sounds like they are gargling. Oh, so there's yeah. your little snippet, I, little little factoid about gargoyles. I sort of want to look up the um, uh, the Paisley Abbey gargoyle inspired by the film Alien now. Yeah, I was like, like having a hard time picturing what that would look like. I uh, yeah, I need to go find some pictures of that because um, that sounds that sounds fascinating. Sure. And oh, coastlines. I I struggled with the coastlines category. Geography is just you know. There is so much out there to know. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Absolutely. The Vietnam one was given away by the Gulf of Tonkin. Right. Uh, I, f- I thought that the South America one was a top toss-up between Argentina and Brazil. I was like, how, how are you going to like know that off the top of your head? If it's not one, it's the other. Right. Um, moving on. Double Jeopardy. Elemental etymology, I thought was... I loved that category, just because that's something i enjoy learning it's like oh huh, yes why were the elements named what they were named and this is mm-hmm. exactly that category i uh, i started a while ago but didn't finish um a book called the disappearing spoon um about the elements and the periodic table and sort of the the history and the stories behind all of that and so i i got a good number of these um based on reading not all of that it had to go back to the library uh but yeah that was i i enjoyed that category as well nice yeah yeah. The Disappearing Spoon. I'll need to check that out. Mm-hmm. And yeah. just add it to the giant list of books. I mean, I'm looking at them <laughs> right now. They're on, like, the side of my bookshelf. I have, like, 12 stacked up. And that's only the ones that I decided to pull. It's really all the rest of my bookshelf yeah. I have to read, too. I have this habit. Yeah. I don't know if you do this, too. I have this habit of every time I find myself uh, near a, a used bookstore, I just go in and, like, just peruse. And if I find a, mm-hmm. if I find a classic that I don't own, I'll just buy it intending to read it eventually and never getting around to it yeah the classics i usually do on my kindle so i i'm no longer stacking up physical copies um but that's been happening with uh with graphic novels for me recently Ooh. yeah uh-huh yeah. such as i'm aware that graphic novel is is regarded by many people as a a single genre i read a bunch of different sort of subgenres within uh within graphic novels uh, within the, the broader graphic novel genre. Uh, so I have read the first two and really, really need to read the third of the March trilogy by Congressman John Lewis. Mm. Um, we recently got the huge um, Neil Gaiman Sandman series. Oh, okay, but yeah. Bound, but bound into like two huge tomes. Nice. Um, and, and there's a bunch of other stuff there too. Um, my husband and I read... Um, most years we read the, the Best American Comics uh, compilation, which is um, like put up by that same Best American group that does the, the Best American Short Stories and Best American Essays. Hmm. Um, and usually we pick out a few things from there that we haven't heard of and, and find those. Um, and then I'm just all, yes, I, 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 uh, I end up browsing in, in bookstores and finding random things to add to the ever-growing stack. Sure, yeah. Yeah. That's cool. 
Uh, okay, so I liked the uh, I liked the connection of Grant Wood and American Gothic. Um, as far as the actual clues go, wasn't super intrigued by like the wood category. <laughs> um, <laughs> it was a stretch. <laughs> yeah, like it was technically trivia about wood, and that. I mean, I know there are people who get super excited about Wood, Ron Swanson, and other people like him, but uh, you know, not not my thing. Fair enough. I I liked the direction they took the American Gothic category, uh, specifically like all over the place. Mm-hmm. Yeah, kind of. That that's that's true. There were a bunch. Um, the one that that everyone missed, the triple stumper. Uh, I I'm not sure why Trent Reznor has stuck in my head since I was a kid. I, I was never like a fan of Nine Inch Nails or mm-hmm. um, any any particular reason for him to be like in my milieu. I think actually, I, I'll tell you what it is. I think I know what it is. This is gonna be a real deep one. In Super Mario World, there are these like Triceratops looking little dinosaur dudes that spit fireballs. Okay. And they're called Resner Rexes. Huh. And I I remember learning that like finding out what their name was and I asked some like I asked why they're called Resner and somebody who was apparently in the know told me it's because the developers of the game were fans of 9 inch nails and so they named a thing in the game after Trent Resner and I was like huh. that's who that is and so I like learned his name and then every so often he'll just, you know, he'll appear in, in things I'm learning about, like when he, like, won an Oscar for uh, The Social Network. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. And, like, and so in my mind from childhood, he's just, like, this weird rocker, you know, for Nine Inch Nails. But he's actually, like... Yeah. He, he's an incredibly, like, knowledgeable and talented and, and like, wide-ranging artist. And very... And apparently, like, incredibly intelligent. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. He, yeah, it, it, I don't know. He occupies a very strange spot in my brain. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's funny. Yeah. Um, anyway. <laughs> um, how about that daily double sequence, though? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we, we got two-thirds of the way through Double Jeopardy before Steve found the first daily double uh, on which he wagered 6,000. And uh, Yep. Very good. Uh in the grant category um, and uh, correctly identified the uh, first war in which Grant fought, the Mexican-American War. Mm-hmm. And then his next pick was the last Daily Double. I love when that happens. It, it doesn't happen that often, but it's, uh, it was so good. Uh, which was, again, at the, at the 2000 level mm-hmm. in American Gothic. And he wagered 3,000 and got Flannery O'Connor. And uh, that brought him from trailing a little bit behind Anthony to a pretty commanding lead. Yeah. A lead that was almost yeah. like almost couldn't be caught with the money that was left on the board. Still could yeah. be, depending on how things go. But yeah, it put him, put him pr- pretty firmly in charge of the game. Well, it's, uh, so that essentially brings us into Final Jeopardy. So I... I don't know if I've mentioned on the podcast yet. Uh, my my mom, who is like a trivia geek, she loves Jeopardy. Has she's loved it since Art Fleming in the '60s. She studied film with Roger Ebert as her first major in college, 
uh, at at the University of Chicago. Mm -hmm. But she's a major film buff, so um, I was raised on, like, classic films and, like, that and that kind of thing. Um, And so immediately after this episode aired, she called me to find out if I got Final Jeopardy. And and did you? (laughs) Oh, I did. I did. I did. Yes. Yes, yeah, it was it was good. I uh, I got stuck for a minute trying to get to the name of the film because I kept thinking rearview mirror, and I don't know whether I would have if I'd actually been up there whether I would have been able to uh, get that out of my brain and get to rear window in time. I uh, I watched that one sometime in high school. I decided I wanted to watch the AFI's like hundred films from their first uh from their first lift and i watched that like during that period i i still have not successfully watched all hundred um yeah i was gonna say that is an undertaking yeah. yeah i've still never seen citizen kane i have um i've heard it's not really all that fun to watch no it's not an enjoyable watch it's a very important movie uh but <laughs> um of the ways you could spend your evening, it's probably not the one I would choose. Sure, and that's that's kind of how I feel about it. It's like, okay, like, I know it's Orson Welles. Yeah. I know about Rosebud. I know it's kind of supposed to be William Randolph Hearst. Yeah. I think yeah. No, you, you have it for <laughs> trivia purposes, and uh, right, beyond exactly. that, I think it's a question of whether that's how you want to spend your evening. And, you know, if it were me, there are so many... There, I don't know. There's, there are so many more movies and books than we're going to get to in our lives, you know. Um, so yeah. watch the ones you love. I don't know. That's right. All right. So that brings us to Wednesday, and we find ourselves with Dave Bine, a culinary director from Westwood, New Jersey. Sam Benzhoff, a senior communications specialist from Saint Paul, Minnesota, and Steve Moulds, returning champion, two-day winnings. Fifty-four thousand two dollars. Not bad for two days. That's a good number for two days. Yes, it is. And uh, yeah, it brings us into the Jeopardy round. I always get excited when sports categories comes up, and and this is I realize sort of um, stereotyping Jeopardy people as probably not being big sports fans, but I always get excited to see like, are they gonna know it? Are they going to get it? Are they going to get any of them? <laughs> How are they going to do here? Yeah. You know, like any, most other categories, I'm like, all right, people will probably know stuff. But sports categories, I always get this twinge of like, ooh, is, is this going to be another one? Yeah. Another one like that football category? Um, yeah. And, you know, I don't, I don't want to stereotype because gender, gender stereotypes are nonsense. Um, but I feel like there is, uh, with three male contestants, I feel like there's more pressure on men to know about sports. Like, uh, yeah. I agree. Yeah. There certainly is pressure to be like, oh, pfft. What you don't know about football? Yeah. Um, Come on, bro. So I I am not good at knowing things about sports. I'm also not good at sports. Um, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but but yeah, I I uh, with with three male contestants, I'm hopeful that it's not going to be just five triple stumpers in a row. Um, sure. Yeah. No, they did well. They miss a butterfly stroke. Yeah, I, I. But the only sport that I did as as a young person uh, was was swimming of various kinds. Uh, specifically, I I did like competitive like racing, swimming, and then also for a little bit I did mm-hmm. synchronized swimming. Um, nice. Yes. Uh, nobody asks trivia about that except whether it exists. Um, you know that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, <laughs> producing like 
you know, that it exists and is an Olympic sport is it's about it all you're gonna need. Sure. Like you might you might have to know right. Esther Williams or something. Um, but right. but yeah, there's you're not gonna ask get asked a lot about synchronized swimming. Um, but yeah, I liked I liked seeing that one. Um, bummer mm-hmm. that it was a triple stumper. Um, you could have got yeah. could have gotten it from Lepidopterans. Um, yeah, that's that's kind of what I was thinking. Like maybe that threw them off. They were trying to maybe they were spending too much time trying to think of like what like remember what lepidopteran did they maybe not get rather that it was a swimming question like because to me like medley relay i know as like a term for my sport sure that's fair it actually doesn't say anything about what sport and and so i i also yeah like i was i was a swimmer when i was a kid and my brother uh was on the swim team in high school so that's been a part of like what we do so like yeah you see medley relay and if you know swimming then you're like oh yeah that's that's swimming and butterfly is a stroke but i suppose if if you're not like super familiar with that term in the swimming sense then you wouldn't necessarily immediately go there um (laughs) when (laughs) uh when i was a kid and i was on a swim team i was in like first grade um at the end of the season i got the most determined swimmer award which when I was in first grade, I was like, oh, this is awesome. I got an award and I'm being recognized. And then when I grew up and like thought back to it later in like my teenage years, I was, I I had that like horror stricken realization that like, oh man, that means I was bad. Oh. That means I was so bad at it. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's painful. (laughs) Yeah, which it turns out I was. I was not a very, uh, not a super like fast swimmer. Yeah. But but obviously I didn't know that when I was at it, you know? And I, I mean, just, what, like, kept... what first grader has that kind of self-awareness? That's true. And I just kept going. So they gave me the most determined award. Yeah. And you know what? I'll stick to it. Yeah. I'll yeah. Good, it. For, good for you. Oh, <laughs> speaking of which, I just gave you a good for you. Uh, That's right. Thank <laughs> which, you. Uh, which, which was uh, yeah. Steve's fact for his interview. Right. <laughs> the Jeopardy Triple Crown is when That's Alex... So says good for you to each of the three each... contestants. Oh, that was so funny. Oh. <laughs> I, <laughs> um, yeah, I, I loved hearing somebody explain that to Alex. Um, yeah. Oh man. Cause I bet, you know, all the, all the like idiosyncrasies and, and you know, his like mannerisms that we all know, he, he probably isn't like super aware of them Yeah. because I, I doubt anybody is like, Hey, you know, you do this a lot. And I, I, he probably I, doesn't follow like Jeopardy Reddit. Sure, that was oh my gosh, that was that was perfect. That was definitely definitely something I was not expecting because you know usually the interviews are they're good, they're fine. I know as a player they were my least favorite part of taping the show. Oh yeah. Um, but you know they're they're like fine or whatever, and they're usually like some of them are okay, some of them are are, are pretty good, some of them are like oh yeah that's nice. Some of them are kind of, you know, ho-hum. That one was, that one is memorable. That was great, yeah. Um, I would have made the same um, BYU uh, Salt Lake City mistake as mm. uh, as Steve did. I did not know that that was in Provo. Yeah, and probably if you're not living, like, in the Mountain West or kind of, like, near nearer to Utah, you really don't have much of a reason to know that. I knew Provo, but I also... BYU is a place that, you know, maybe some of my students are considering going. So that's where I get it from. Yeah. 
we, uh, moving into Double Jeopardy, we had a lot of religion uh, in, I think mostly in the later half of this week. It feels like sometimes the writers go on sort of a, um, on a, on a jag with a particular topic. Um, sure. And there was a, there was a lot of religion popping up sort of through Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Um, mm -hmm. uh, we had uh, Jonathan Edwards under the American thinkers category, you know, not all of it, uh, not all of it fell under religion specific categories, you know, because um, sure. I, I like to think of Jeopardy categories as unless there's like some gimmick that's carrying through the whole category. Um, usually there will be three that are like on the topic itself and then a couple others where like the topic is kind of a springboard into something related. Um, things that don't seem relevant can come up in, in other categories. Um, anyway, it, it felt like somebody had like read a whole lot of religious history recently. <laughs> um, and that may have been true, you know. Yeah. I mean, one, th one thing that they do tell us is that the, the categories that are chosen for each show are picked at random by a third party. They just sit in a pool. The oh, that's right. Yeah. The writers write a category of questions um, and then basically put it in a database. And then uh, at the beginning of that tape day, a third party lawyer comes and randomly selects uh, the categories that will be in that day's shows. So, you know, they may have, they may have, have written a number of categories that had religious questions or religiously uh, like tangential questions in them. And or it could just be, be all... that those got or... cold. Right. Um, that ran randomness doesn't always look random. Um, yeah. 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 If it, if it's an even distribution, that's not really technically random. Like yeah. ra random distribution will have things that are near each other. It could be that. Yeah. Could al could also be a total conspiracy. <laughs> uh, so we had uh, we had we had uh, Mary Baker Eddy, um, mm -hmm. the founder of Christian Science, and we had Jonathan Edwards um, mm -hmm. uh, trying to with uh, with Steve coming up with uh, fire and brimstone. Yeah, that was um, a good poll. Yeah. Anything else in this round? Not really. A lot didn't really grab me here. Yeah, it was it was sort of straightforward, you know. It was a good yeah. it was a good game. And then the final final Jeopardy uh, we went in. It was actually pretty close between Steve and Dave, uh, but and 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 when second pl place is close to first place, that that means that third place has a better chance. Right. Because uh, first and second have to kind of have to bounce off of each other, sort of, and that gives third a, a chance to move in. Yeah, I thought like and like Alex mentioned with this final Jeopardy clue. You basically have two choices. <laughs> yeah. Um, if it's not Nelson, it's Wellington. Which I mean, Dave, he just didn't didn't get there. I was going at it from the like trying to think about the world capitals it could be, and got stuck thinking about the Caribbean. Should have been thinking about early nineteenth century British heroes. Um, yeah. Yeah, because that that narrows it down a lot more than. How many capitals are there in the world? <laughs> oh, Lord. Uh, a little under 200, I think, yeah. is the list that, I th I, that I've worked with. Yeah, 193 is sticking in my head, but that probably doesn't take into account more recent countries like South Sudan and East Timor, yeah. things like that. So that's, yeah. but yeah, ab about 200, maybe just a little less. Yeah, so yeah. trying to go through that list in 30 seconds is a tall order. Yeah. But, you know, good for you. That's take it, <laughs> take it on the challenge. <laughs> no, uh, it's uh, I, I don't know. In Final Jeopardy, you should be 
working smarter, <laughs> not yeah. running through 200 capitals in your head. You know, whatever works for you. That's really what yeah. it is. Yeah, well, it did not work for me. I did not come up with anything before the thinking music ended. So. Fair, fair. All right. Uh, that brings us into Thursday. All right. We've got Andrew Thompson, a journalist from Ottawa. Uh, we've got Miriam Manber, uh, an attorney from New York, New York, and Steve Moulds coming back with uh, three-day cash winnings of eighty-five thousand six hundred three. Um, New Testament quotes. I bet. I bet that was really tough for you. I, you'll be surprised to hear that I swept that one. Um, <laughs> I am not. <laughs> <laughs> I thought, for as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. Was it tough for a four hundred level clue? You know, I think that was too, and obviously they did too, because it was a triple stumper. Because that does seem more like a, it seems more obscure for a 400 level. Yeah, it, I felt like it should have been higher in the category too, as well. Yeah, I feel like it. it's not in the Messiah, is it? I definitely have a, remem- a, a memory of singing it in a choral setting. It might be in Messiah. I would, I would think it would, of, of the, like, of the oratorios and cantatas that are more popular, like, I, I would think it would be in Messiah. I don't. Again, I'm not super good with words in yeah. music. I'm an instrumentalist. I remember melodies. I remember compositional aspects. But when it comes to the actual like words, it takes me a while to learn them and remember them. So it might be. It's probably in Messiah. I mean, that one specifically deals with Christ. Oh yeah. So. Yes, it it does appear in Handel's Messiah, the movement since by man came death. Mm-hmm. So I guess that that pushes the the difficulty level a little bit easier but anyway i still i I thought it was a it's unusual to see triple stumpers at the 400 right especially Um, especially with clues like oh ye of little faith and physician heal thyself i feel like those are much more common like just sayings you know Mm -hmm. i feel like i feel like those should have been um switched around yeah but i i got it so it's always fun when i get the triple stumper sure so we previously mentioned we probably should mention this for the for the listeners previously mentioned that um the categories are randomly drawn when they uh, for each show um that will be taped that day however there are some categories that are kind of like paired together or matched together like in uh, earlier in the week there was grant wood american gothic so if the person who's drawing the categories grabs one of those or, or pulls it from the database, however they do that, then it will automatically pull the other ones that are matched with it. Like here, you've hit the daily double bet at all. Those two categories um, were the, the two together in the Jeopardy round. Those yeah. two were matched together so that you get that kind of running joke in the category names. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so sometimes you get categories that are specifically intended to show up together. Yeah. Most, um. most of the time they're standalone. And that can happen um, with multiple categories that in the same round, um, but it can also happen with um, a category that appears in the Jeopardy round and then a follow-up category in the double Jeopardy round. Um, right, which I believe it shows up in the Friday game. Yes. Um, but we'll mention that when yeah, we get there. We'll, we'll get there. I, I do enjoy the Jeopardy being sort of self-referential with these categories. Yeah, yeah it's real, real meta- yeah, I feel like they're sort of leaning into their like their their uh, their role in in popular culture. Yeah, I agree. Did we were there any other in the Jeopardy uh, round you want to talk about, or we should uh, probably move on? We should we should we should probably move on. Tough break for Miriam though on um, uh, DNA double helix. 
Yeah. Yeah. It's tough when you yeah, when you miss a category. Yeah. Like, oh, I mean not oh. all the not all the things in the category called for um something that had double in the phrase. Um but in that case they were asking for the molecular structure. Not um, the molecule. Right. Yeah. yeah, but that's hard though. I I felt for her because, you know, like it was a it was a nuance to the clue that was like tough to get in the moment, I think. All right, should we move into double? Yes. I really like the fictional flags. Category. Yes, me too. That was a great category. Yeah. Let's see. I missed I missed the Groucho Marx one. I knew Fredonia was a thing, and I've heard the name Duck Soup, but I was never going to get to Groucho Marx. That was uh, one of the ones that I watched during that AFI 100 movies uh, nice. thing. Yes. I did not know um, Joseph Conrad, the, the $2,000 clue. Yeah. Um, I saw Nostromo. And I was like, I don't know what author it would be, um, but whoever wrote Alien, because if I recall correctly, the Nostromo is the name of the the ship in Alien. Huh. So I was like, well, that must be it. But now, now that I see that Nostromo is something by Joseph Conrad, now there must be, now I see there must be more meaning to the name of the ship in the movie, probably referencing whatever it is that, you know, is in Nostromo. I have absolutely zero intention of ever reading anything by Joseph Conrad ever again. I read Heart of Darkness, and that is enough for me. Yeah. Yep. Because, like, dang, it was only, like, 115 pages, and, like, get to the point, man. <laughs> yes. Uh, I, uh, I resonate with that. But, yeah, that was, a, that was a really good category. I enjoyed that a lot. Oh, the whole um, strong language category um, was, I mean, it seems straightforward, but then when you're trying to figure out like exactly what word it is that they're going for, um, I was pleased to get robust, um, which was a triple stumper at the $2,000 level, and which apparently comes from the Latin word for oak tree, which I didn't know that. I just thought oh, yeah, it because, because that the word robust, I think, has a strong association with coffee for me. Um, yeah, absolutely. I Yeah, I too. That was the word get that came to mind just because of coffee. I was like, I don't know what oak tree is in Latin. <laughs> mm -hmm. I don't even know how to begin approaching that. Um, similarly, I uh, at the at the $2,000 level in um, Movie Challenge, I knew that Bringing Up Baby was a film. I had no idea it has a leopard in it. Uh, yeah, I never did either. I, I, yeah. I had come across uh, the title Bringing Up Baby as like a, a film classic and I assumed that it was with reference to a human child so sure or like yeah or a person named baby but apparently it's a leopard yep who I was about to say who knew but apparently a lot of people knew I Miri I, Miriam knew I guess Miriam knew <laughs> yeah um or or she or she did what I did and recognized bringing up blank classic film so but I, I don't know I don't know if she knew that it was a leopard or if she or she was guessing based on knowing that there was a film with that with that as the first part of the title. Um, yeah. I uh, playing along at home, I guessed baby and was very pleased to be right. But I nice. feel like I really learned something new today. This game, uh, it ended up. I mean, going into Final Jeopardy it was pretty close. Andrew and Steve, um, Andrew in the lead, and Miriam in a good good position too. Um, there are a number a number of wrong wrong responses but not too many and this is i think this is the first time for steve this is his fourth game and this is the first time for him going in in second place so he's got to think about betting differently 
And then the final Jeopardy clue, 1952 novel, basically dry years, water came in a 30-year 30, 30 cycle, not even, I got it. You, I, I believe this is your second time at least getting a, getting a final Jeopardy question about this novel. It's East of Eden. No. no. Yeah, oh yeah, it is East of Eden, you're right. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this is the second one with East of Eden, which I still haven't read. <laughs> um, <clears throat> But at least I didn't have to give that it was East of Eden because my first thought was that it was Gra Grapes of Wrath. Yeah, I thought of Grapes of Wrath also, and then I thought um, 1952 is much too late for Ga Grapes sure. of Wrath. Um, I correctly had Grapes of Wrath pegged as a as a 1930s novel. It was published in 39. Yeah. Um, I was uh, really kind of flailing for a while, and then ended up writing down Steinbeck on my notepad at home. Um, because I thought, you know, writing down Steinbeck was better than leaving it blank. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, and I, I mean, and it was right. Yeah, I uh, I remember 1952, because, yeah, uh, Grapes of Wrath is a 30s novel, which I knew, mm -hmm. and, like, Of Mice and Men is from that same time period. And I remember what, like you mentioned, uh, when I had a an East of Eden Final Jeopardy when I was on, the I remember being, like, thinking it couldn't be East of Eden, because 52 felt so late for Steinbeck in my mind. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, Steinbeck and uh, Andrew got it and he cover bet and did the, you know, did a smart thing and got himself uh, got himself out of reach and won the game. Yeah, that's moved right. On, moved on to Friday, uh, in which we have Jennifer Cooper, a university volunteer coordinator from Silva, North Carolina. Christine McKeever, a writer from Los Angeles, California. And our returning champion now, Andrew Thompson. Another returning champion from Canada. Lots of lots of Canada people showing mm -hmm. us what's up recently. We started the week with Chris Prue and end the week coming into Friday at least with Andrew Thompson. Mm -hmm. Yeah, another little peek behind the curtain for our listeners. So uh, Christine McKeever is from Los Angeles. Uh, now I don't know this for certain, but probably this was the second day of taping for the week uh, because they're they always invite a couple of uh, who they people that they call like local or uh, local alternates, yeah, yeah. Uh, people people who live in the area they invite you know who also qualified for the show obviously like they passed the test they did everything they need to be to be on the show. Um, they in invite them to the second day of taping every week because they they tape two days a week, um, and that way they can have more people more contestants there than will end up actually taping which provides uh, a, an element of randomness uh, because the idea is if the last group of people to tape for that day on that Friday show, if they know that they are the only people left, then they know that they're going to go up against each other and that can potentially cause some sort of um, some sort of conflict of interest, whether that gives someone an advantage or allows for, I don't know, collusion or something. Uh, the They take their integrity of the show very seriously so they invite more people than will actually end up taping that day and the way that they uh, avoid the issue of like inviting people to fly out from across the country and then end up saying actually no you you're not taping we're going to send you home uh on on the last day of the week they invite local people and those people understand coming in that one of them one of the alternates will not be drawn and will not tape uh, that day, mm -hmm. but they will be invited back in the future to, to tape. So I'm going to guess that Christine was a local alternate. Yeah, that was my guess as well. 
I always sort of enjoy seeing that, like identifying the local alternate on the Friday. Um, yeah. 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 Anyway, I took a long time to explain that. So let's go fast through this. Um, yeah, so you mentioned that um, categories might be paired from first round to second round, and that we have that with the BC and BC mm-hmm. categories. Name their main musical instrument. I really enjoyed. That was a good one. That was a good one. Yeah. Uh, although, yeah, we we had they did all right. They did all right. They missed uh, Miss Hal Blaine, which I don't I don't blame them. Sarah Chang and Midori at the at the thousand dollar level. Those were both um, like young like violin prodigies when I was uh, a violin student, um, like around like I think when I was like eight or nine years old. And so those names came very uh, very easily to me. The, their instrument was uh, came easily to me. Sure. Yeah. I have noticed there have been a lot of music categories recently. Maybe yeah. maybe I'm just noticing them more because I'm being more analytical for this podcast. But, uh, <laughs> but I feel like there have been a lot more musical questions. And even in this one, in the fashionable category, there's a question. A musical instrument with bellows gives its name to this style of pleats. Oh, yes. And then in the BC category, the $600 clue was the bass clef. Yes. There's just, there. I feel like there's a lot of music going on right now, which I'm totally mm-hmm. fine with. Not oh, going to yeah. complain. Not going to complain at all. The bamboo curtain was a term I'd never heard before, and now I'm interested in looking into it. Yeah. But it was on the Friday show, which means it's not what we're diving into this week. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Because here's another peek behind the curtain, listeners. Uh, We record on Fridays, which means that if there's a topic, a potential topic on the Friday show, we do not have time to look into it. (laughs) Yep. Anyway, moving on. Unless there's something that's single. No, we can can go on to double. All right. Oh, the contractions round um, was tougher than I expected. Did they get them all? They might have gotten them all. They had one triple stumper on the contractions round, um, but that one that one played harder than I expected. Yeah, which was which was nice because I th- I thought so too. I saw contractions. I'm like, all right, that's just a buzzer speed test right there. Yep. See who can get in. Uh, I thought I thought so as well, and especially that two thousand dollar clue was that was weird to me. That that was strangely worded. Yes. Um, the poem "Home Sweet Home" doesn't begin "Mung pleasures and places and palaces, though we may roam." The first word is this contraction, which I was like, I don't know the poem, so I thought it was asking for a totally different line, yeah. not just like not not just saying like we got the first word wrong. What is it actually? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That so. that was a that was strangely written. Um, I'm not too surprised it was a triple stumper. Yeah. Yeah, the rest of it was good. The BC yeah. category was nice. I like I like ancient history. So, mm-hmm. oh yeah, sixth uh, century BC Temple of Artemis was a mainstay of this city, whose resident Saint Paul would later pen a letter to. Yeah. Another That's... religion uh, mm-hmm. related question. That's right, um, and you could tell that uh, Christine was getting it from, uh, at least in part, from the biblical book of the Bible, or I, I thought that she was because she pronounced it Ephesus. Right. Um, uh, the city is pronounced Ephesus. The letter is Ephesians. And so if you're working from uh, somehow uh, gathering that it's the people, the, the city uh, where the Ephesian church was, um, Ephesus would be a sort of a natural pronunciation to go for. Yeah. Spe- speaking of the seven wonders of the world, that's also the Temple of Artemis is one of them. Yes, I thought it was, but I was not sure enough to say it out loud. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, I was uh, actually I was also checking just to make sure. <laughs> I was yeah. like, I'm pretty sure it is. 
Yeah. Uh, and then, hey, Final Jeopardy brings us to religion. And they're all uh, in good good place. Uh, the scores going in were, were pretty good. Yeah. Andrew in the lead, though. And so this one, for me, this one was pretty pretty easy. But I, and, and also, I, I imagine anyone who, like, the same thing with any trivia topic. Anyone who spends time in it is, you know, in, in whatever topic it is, it's going to be easier. It's also, I think, very easy for listeners of our podcast who happen because... to, listen, <laughs> to listen to our quiz last week because yeah. you you asked me about Pentecost. I did, <laughs> yes. Um, uh, I uh, yeah, it was fun. It was fun to see that come around in Jeopardy. Um, it's one of those things where that's how randomness sometimes looks: is that uh, things coincidentally come up at the same time. Mm-hmm. I think so. They they all went for Seventh Day Adventists, which, ouch. Um, yep. But also, uh, ouch, like, like I, I, I feel for them, not, uh, you know, uh, it's how I intend that, ouch. I wonder if something about the yeah. first part of the clue led them to think that it had to do with a day of the week. Yeah, it, it must have led them there. Um, yeah, I, I because the, they all got the mm-hmm. same answer, and... Maybe just the word day stuck in their head, and Seventh Day Adventist is the only like denomination with the word day in it, so it'll immediately trigger that connection. Yeah. Um, um, so yeah, I mean, a, a triple stumper Final Jeopardy, you know, happens happens pretty regularly. Um, when everyone gets the same wrong answer, you know, that's uh, that's a little bit more unusual. Yeah, and that's and like you said, that's suggestive. It's suggestive that something in the clue was uh, maybe a bit misleading yeah but i I wrote down on my notes betting strategy (laughs) yeah because because jennifer and christine both just bet it all which yes it's which really it just means like oh christine you you know you you could have (laughs) won yeah could have won uh but i mean the math would have been hard to do especially with jennifer being that close in second place it's true um i think there's a case to be made for christine making a bet to cover jennifer doubling up um so like in this case if you're if you're in second place and third place is hot on your heels maybe you want to think about what's going to happen if they go all in right because you're assuming that the first place the contestant makes a cover bet your only chance is if they get it wrong Um, right but for for the third place contestant it, I mean, it, it depends on what the second place contestant does. A triple stumper is one of your one of your more is your more most likely path, I think, to winning. Um, and yeah. so your wager, I think, should work for a triple stumper from third place, ideally. When you're up there, the pressure's on. The audience is watching. The contestant coordinators and stage crew are waiting for you to write in your your wager so that you you know they can move on and do their job. Yeah, like. I, again, I'm not. I want to say it every, pretty, pretty much every episode. Nothing I say is meant to like to to bash on any of the contestants who are up there. I love the contestants. Yeah. I, I yeah. It's it's it you know as a as a watcher as a viewer it's like oh I hope you know you just hope for yeah. them right and then when you see something like that it's like oh I feel I feel for you because of a missed opportunity yeah and that's but that's how it goes you know I mean only one person yeah. can win and. Yes. You know, 67% of the of the contestants on any sh- of the days, they go home. That's right. 
the way it is all right yeah. so that brings us to the end of the week brings us up uh and we have andrew thompson returning on monday two-day winner yeah coming back another another canadian over the weekend yes uh but we're not gonna see him until uh much later um because, oh that's right yeah i, I can't believe i forgot <laughs> because who's coming on monday kyle you oh my gosh yeah. um let me think i forgot uh yeah uh gilbert collins yeah gilbert collins is coming on monday which uh i mean I'll, I'll talk more about next week but i have a personal connection with gilbert collins uh through uh, a family member anyway yeah that's going to be next week but for this week uh i will i will go i'll go kind of quick i i was gonna do a i got some information on a lot of stuff but i'll i'll pare it down to what i really wanted to focus on so um last week i talked about uh the person who is not doing the deep dive trying to guess yes what what we're going to be talking about this week what do you think now i will say i purposely did not make any comment on it oh okay well it's good then that i took some notes in advance about what i thought you might go for okay um and let's see on wednesday there was a geographic terms category that i thought there was uh there were some interesting things there i thought maybe you might have something from that okay it is it is not that okay also on wednesday um there was a clue uh in the borrowed from other languages category um about the origin of the term acapella Ooh, you know i could talk about that i know that's, you could that's not the one i chose but yeah oh i could talk about that uh <laughs> maybe 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 one day especially like maybe over the summer when they're doing their hiatus we can do like potpourri episodes where we just kind of talk about stuff that we didn't oh, get to talk about during yeah. the year nice and we, can, we can go through that stuff uh, but all no, right. it is it is not acapella. Um, all right. Like I like I said, it's one that I purposely did not mention because I didn't want to give it away. It is from the Wednesday game, so you were you were like circling around it. Okay. Uh, it is from the Jeopardy round, a historical rhetorical, and it is the one thousand dollar clue. Yo, France, between nineteen thirty and forty, will it be worth it to spend billions of francs on this? line of defense oh what is the parentheses it will not so i remember i saw like i saw that clue and i heard it and i was like ha it's the maginot line duh and then my mind started wandering on that and i was like you know i know that the maginot line is like this historical joke right it's like this mm-hmm. big thing it's this metaphor for false sense of security and all that and like it's a thing to laugh and be like, ha, 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 French are bad at war or whatever. When re- really, historically, looking like looking through the course of history, France is not bad at war. France is pretty good at war, but it just happened to be like this thing that everyone could point to and be like, huh, well, you know, they didn't know what they were doing. Um, so I decided to look into it a little more because I realized I didn't know much about it other than like it didn't work, supposedly. Uh, so I'm going to talk about the Maginot Line for a little bit. And uh, given that we've already taken time and we're going <laughs> to take a little more time for you at the end, uh, I won't talk about the other things. There was another clue about Hadrian's Wall. Mm. And so I, I was going to make it a whole deep dive into like walls, but I'll just talk about the Maginot Line here. So the Maginot Line, uh, it was named for French Minister of War André Maginot, who was the Minister of War uh, in the late 1920s in France. Uh, and it it's this massive line 
of fortifications uh, and weapon installations, cannons, uh, trenches, bunkers, things like that, uh, built pretty much through the entire decade of the 1930s in order to essentially deter another invasion by Germany. Because, of course, we had the First World War, which the vast majority of the French-German front was fought on French soil. Uh, which was very costly, obviously not mm-hmm. only in terms of like human lives, but also in terms of just like you know French agriculture, French industry. Uh, basically, it was incredibly draining on the nation of France and the French people. And so, one of the major purposes of the Maginot Line was to make sure that if Germany does decide to attack us again, we will get to determine where the fighting happens. We will make sure that it is not on French soil that even if they decide to attack they won't try to go through the line they'll try to find another route which will give us time to mobilize and essentially kind of like meet meet them head on somewhere and ideally we the french could win a, a you know resounding victory and drive them back and that would be that but what would be more likely is that a front would establish kind of like in world war one where they have you know you have trenches on one side trenches on the other and then a no man's land in between that was their mentality and they wanted to kind they they were really planning on that being in belgium they figured we have the we have the front we we have the border blocked off with this with these fortifications if germany decides to attack through belgium that will give us time to meet them in belgium and make sure that the fighting is there rather Mm -hmm. than on on french soil and it also, the original intention of the line when, when Maginot uh, introduced it and got it approved in 1929 uh, was for it to go from the English Channel all the way down to the Mediterranean and actually uh, fortify the entire eastern French border. But it cost a lot of money, took a lot of work. Um, they did manage to get m- most of the German border uh, fortified. They already had fortifications in the in the mountainous Italian border, so they didn't have to spend a lot of time or money to shore that up. They ignored the Swiss border because they figured, well, Germany would have to get through Switzerland first, and they're probably not going to try to do that because uh, Switzerland is really good at fighting anybody that tries to come in. So they figured they'd leave that and focused on the, the German border. And they famously and like obviously left the Belgian border for last. Uh, because during most of the interwar period, Belgium was an ally of France. And so they kind of figured, like, okay, Belgium's got our back. Yeah, Germany could probably crush them, but if the line works the way we want it to and the Germans are forced to kind of, like, go around, like we said, that'll give us time to move into Belgium, reinforce them, and set up, set up a front there. However, a number of things did not go their way, as we know at this point. <laughs> like... Mm-hmm. Obviously, we know that Germany invaded, crushed through the the French military, and basically within six weeks of the initial invasion, uh, France capitulated and was out. But the line, like I I said, the, the, the purpose of the line was not to protect France from a German invasion. That that was not the, that was not really like the, the, the end all be all purpose of it. It was to deter a cross border assault so like I said, like three or four times, make sure that they had to go somewhere else first mm-hmm. uh, to prevent a surprise attack. So to keep them from like jumping across the Rhine and coming in to Alsace and Lorraine really quickly. Speaking of Alsace and Lorraine, it was to protect that region, which France got back 
1918 after World War One, and that was where a lot of French uh, industry was was built. It also was to help save manpower because France <clears throat> at the time had just under 40 million res- inhabitants, whereas Germany had 70 million. So uh, France would have a significantly smaller force in general, and it could be used in their idea um, once you know if if a war happened it could be used as a place that they could start a counteroffensive across the german border so those were that was really the purpose it was not it was not to just protect france from anything that could come through and uh, a couple of things about about the uh the line it was like i said fortified with a lot of different uh a lot of uh, a lot of bunkers a lot of fortifications a lot of weapons heavy cannons that kind of thing um it was actually like really technologically innovative they had underground networks of tunnels and like living areas uh they had complex escape tunnels like they Mm -hmm. they they had really planned a lot for a lot of different contingencies uh every every bunker and and fortification could cover the other ones next to it so like if you know if infantry managed to get across the rhine and were pushing up toward one particular fortification the other fortifications on either side could turn like could turn their focus and be able to protect that one um, so they were close enough and mobile enough to be able to cover each other uh, there were a number of fail safes within the bunkers themselves like even if inf- uh, infantry managed to get to the door there were like little shoots like little mail slot kind of shoots where the French soldiers could just like drop a grenade outside and like close it <laughs> if there was like a, a German outside even if they got in there were like secondary fortifications within the bunker and then even if they managed to get past those they like every hallway or maybe not every hallway but a number of hallways were like mined so they could just be blown up if they needed to be and then even if they got past that there were these escape tunnels that were designed to fill with gravel after you have gone through it. So, like, you climb up, you pull a switch, it fills with gravel below you, and you go the rest of the way up. So, like, there was a a lot of engineering and a lot of imagination that went into designing the Maginot Line. It wasn't just like, all right, well, we're just going to set up some cannons and turn them toward Germany. And there's a joke that, like, the Maginot Line didn't work because... Uh, they couldn't turn the guns around, which is actually utterly false. The The cannon installations were actually designed to be able to shoot 360 degrees. And the Germans who eventually did try and fight, like try and take the Maginot line, actually talked about how like terrifying it was because no matter where they went, as if once they got in range of the guns, they felt like they were rabbits being hunted. Hmm. They're just like, no matter where they went, they were being bombarded. The Maginot Line itself actually was not uh, taken by German forces. So Germany invaded through Belgium uh, right before before they invaded Belgium. Belgium decided to try the appeasement policy, which we all know worked really, really well, uh, and kind of renounced their alliance with France and said they declared neutrality as a way of being like okay germany we're cool we're cool we're, we're not on their side we're good you don't have to do anything we're fine and then germany was like cool we're gonna invade you so they did and they moved much faster through belgium than the french uh anticipated so they were able to get around the line a lot more quickly and fr- uh, the french military wasn't able to mobilize as fast as they as they wanted to also germany had uh 
through a kind of secret partnership with the Soviet Union, uh, developed much more advanced weaponry than they had before. And one of the problems was that France was thinking uh, that another war that would happen would be like World War I. They thought that it would set up in trench warfare, mm. gas warfare, that same kind of thing. What Germany did was they mechanized everything. They made everything move a lot faster, shoot a lot farther, and be a lot more powerful. Uh, so they moved through Belgium very quickly and were able to outgun the French on their own soil very, very quickly uh, and essentially cut off the line from the rest of the country, which, I mean, at that point, France didn't stand much of a chance. Um, so after they took Paris, they wanted, they still wanted to take the line. It still hadn't, like, it was still manned by French soldiers and they were still fighting. Uh, and so they, they would attack, they would have bombard, but the, the Maginot line was so well uh, designed that the French soldiers were able to like live in their in their bunkers and in their, their their network of tunnels and living places underground and just be totally fine. <laughs> like they were they were not threatened. They could defend themselves. They had enough to live like off of in their storage. They were they were fine. It it did exact like it served exactly the purpose that it was built for. Like it was impenetrable. Uh and the only reason that it like quote unquote fell was because France as a nation capitulated and like turned the turned control over to Germany and at that point the French soldiers were like well we could die here but that would not serve any purpose our country has already lost <laughs> like yeah. so they just at that point they they came out and and left so yeah a lot of what i saw was that the the Maginot line was really it really was not a a failure in the way that that it has been viewed in history it was actually a technological marvel it when it was actually attacked it performed perfectly and you know a, a lot of the reason that germany was able to so quickly and effectively take france out of the game was not because the line was a bad idea but really because there was there were a number of misconceptions of of in the of the french people about what the next war would look like and how it would be fought. Yeah. Huh. I had no idea. Yeah. yeah. Um, and since since the war and since everything, uh, parts of it, there's there's a, a strange mixture of like pride and embarrassment uh, among among the French people when you talk about, especially the French military when you talk about the Maginot Line. Um, but certain parts of it have been sold off, uh, have been dismantled and whatever. Certain parts have been re preserved um, you can still see a number of fortifications that are that have been preserved out there still. So, hmm. yeah. cool. Okay, okay, that brings us to the quiz. <laughs> hey, checking the time. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. It's okay. Um, okay, so we have five questions. Each of them are just going to be one answer questions. Uh, okay. So they'll each be worth ten points, and then we'll have a final. This is a quiz on walls. Walls are often more effective. Question one, at keeping people in rather than out. The Berlin Wall is perhaps the most famous example. Uh, what alliterative crossing became a symbol for the Cold War at large and even saw Soviet and American tanks face off during the Berlin crisis of 1961? Ooh, um, Berlin Wall, alliterative crossing. I think I'm going to know it when you say it but I don't think it's going to come to me. Okay. Uh, that would be Checkpoint Charlie. 
Mm. Okay, yeah, so, that was not going to come to me. Okay. Uh, yeah, so Checkpoint Charlie is one of the, like, the most well-known, mm. like, crossing from East Berlin to West Berlin. And it just, like I said, it, it kind of became, like, a sort of a microcosm or, like, or like you know, small example of the whole, like, standoff of the Cold War. So that was question one. Question two. Now, I'm not talking about the character from Hill Street Blues, nor am I talking about the high school soccer goalie that was on a school trip to Europe that I once took. I'm talking about the Houston-based rapper best known for the albums The People's Champ and Get Money, Stay True. He found his fame in the early 2000s and since has not done a whole lot, though I'm not throwing any shade at him. What is his name? Oh, Kyle, there is absolutely no way that I'm going to get... Well, no, there is a possibility that I may someday get a question about a rapper. Um, But... Uh, I'll give you a clue. He's got he he has the most just like horrendous grill. Oh, just, just like silver teeth. And this is from back. This is from the early like early to mid two thousands. Like yeah. he, was, he was he was doing it in two thousand two two thousand five. Like I was I was hoping this was our wheelhouse. Oh no. Um, I'm trying to come up with a guess that isn't embarrassing even. <laughs> um. Yeah, no, just tell me. Oh, it's Paul Wall. Oh. Yeah, Paul Wall. Oh, oh, okay. A name I have not thought about in about, what what year is it, 2019? In about 15 years. Yeah. Yeah. All right, question number three. Uh, Possibly the best-known album by Pink Floyd, The Wall features many songs that stand on their own as excellent music. The album itself tells the story of a musician named Pink who isolates himself from the world and has to deal with the repercussions of that. One of those repercussions is that he ends up feeling what? The title of a song that is ranked uh, 314 on Rolling Stone magazine's list of the 500 greatest songs of all time. Oh, Lord. Um, Pink Floyd, The Wall. Um... Why don't you give me the whole question again? I'm going to see if you okay. can get it. Okay, so I'm asking for the title of a song from the album The Wall. And the question is phrased uh, that the, the character, because of his, because of his like, self-isolation and getting into drugs and things like that, uh, he ends up feeling, quote, blank, which is the title of the song. Like, what is the feeling that he has? I don't think I know it. I feel like I should try to guess it, though. That seems like conceivably gettable. Um, it sounds like it's a one-word answer. You've already said isolated, so I'm not going to say that. That also seems a little, like, it's hard to imagine if that being the right answer. Um, trapped. Yeah, let's go with trapped. That's okay. wrong, I'm sure. It is. The the correct answer is comfortably numb. Oh no. Oh of course yeah. it is. Ugh. Alright. Yeah. They should take away my former Jeopardy contestant status. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> that is That's, no. Oh that is, that is, that is Yeah. Comfortably that, numb is one of my favorite 
that's mortifying yeah sorry uh and dear listeners if you've never listened to the wall you should check it out uh don't don't bother watching the movie they made a movie of it unless you're willing to i don't know drop acid to try and understand it i think Uh, i have watched the movie at some point during my teen years and i it was a mistake honestly Um, yeah it's 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 weird it's very weird just listen to the album yeah uh... anyway uh number four i'm worried this might be a bit too uh are are we getting are we getting more obscure from here no no uh (laughs) these are not actually obscure questions it might i don't know it might be uh so back when the interstate system was new and air conditioning was not standard in most vehicles the stretch across the american heartland could be a treacherous drive in fact, there is one location in South Dakota that was famed for serving, quote, free ice water to drivers who stopped in. It is now a major tourist attraction, even boasting an 80-foot brontosaurus in front of it. What is the name of this sprawling establishment that I totally visited because I go to tourist traps? Huh. Okay. It's a location in South Dakota. Mm-hmm. Um tourist trap it has a brontosaurus I mean I'm trying to I feel like you would not be asking me for uh, I don't know I'm gonna guess Mount Rushmore because Mount Rushmore is in South Dakota (laughs) (laughs) and and if if I yeah I would definitely describe our national park service yeah no no yeah no I don't I don't know it's uh, uh the one, sure. the one place that tourists would go to in South Dakota that I could think of is about sure. so I, yeah. that is my guess. Okay. Uh, it is called Wall Drug, and it's in the town of Wall, South Dakota. Huh. Um, and if you, yeah, and maybe because I'm, you know, I live in Colorado and, like, it's yeah. kind of, like, the region I'm in, but Wall Drug is, like, it, it, over the years it has expanded into, like, they just keep adding to it. Oh, so, oh, I missed that uh, connection with the theme. Okay. All right. Well, that that is my most embarrassing, uh, maybe non, uh, that's my most embarrassing miss of this, uh, of this quiz so far. This is <laughs> going okay. very poorly for me. Um, but yeah, their claim to fame was like, they, you could get free ice water, you know, back in the day when you, you if you're taking a road trip over the summer with your family, like and you're just driving through the Dakotas, there's not a lot there. Knowing that there's a place you can stop yeah. and get free ice water for everyone, that was a pretty big deal, apparently. So, huh. yeah. Okay, number five. Oh, no. <laughs> this, I, I purposely put this one last because I thought it was the hardest. <laughs> yeah. Uh, this is so embarrassing. I'm sorry I'm making a podcast with somebody who apparently can't do trivia now. <laughs> it's a, no, it's okay. It's after midnight for you, so I don't blame you. Maybe, um, maybe I, I forgot to think about the theme for the two questions that I would have needed to think about the theme. Um, sure. Not that, not that I, I probably wouldn't have guessed Wall Drug because I hadn't heard of that. Um, but mm-hmm. Paul Wall, maybe you know, if I. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, maybe. All right. Um, Hadrian's Wall is often referred to as the northern boundary of the Roman Empire in Britain, and sometimes is considered the marked boundary between England and Scotland. However, I'm not asking about it, and I'm not asking about blue face paint or other spurious major media treatments of the Roman boundary with the Wild North. Rather, I'd like you to name the other wall that Romans built much farther north about 20 years after Hadrian's Wall. Remnants of it can still be seen, and uh, it became a UNESCO World Heritage Site in 2008. Ooh. 
Huh. Yeah, nothing's coming to mind. I think I think you've indicated this is like the the hardest. So, all right. Yeah. It this one was the one that I was like, okay, this is probably pretty obscure unless you have specifically like seen it and and committed to your memory that like um it's the Antonine Wall or Antonine Wall. Mm. Yeah, yeah, and it's up in the it's up in the nor- northern Scotland. What you would currently consider Scotland, as opposed to England, Hadrian's Wall is actually entirely within England now. So that it's it's down at like where the Irish Sea cuts in, goes across the North Sea. The Antonine Wall is up at the the I never pronounce these things like right Firth of Forth or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm, I'm really bad at pronouncing uh, British uh, British Isles things. But uh, yeah, it's much farther north and was built a little bit later. It was cool. less permanent than Hadrian's Wall, mm-hmm. um, and it was kind of a frontier wall. Well, that brings us to the final. But I have zero. <laughs> Which I guess uh, we didn't. We did not consider this contingency. <laughs> I I feel like you wrote the question, and um, you know we should we should include sure. It. So yeah. this is for, this is for everyone, for the listeners too. Okay, um, and this one this one is admittedly a bit tough too, unless um, you have uh, remember your Chinese dynasties. So the uh, Great Wall, of, the Great Wall of China, was famous famously breached twice by northern invaders. Uh, Kublai Khan was so successful that China remained under Mongol rule for nearly a century after he invaded and defeated the Song Dynasty. What was the Chinese name of his foreign dynasty, which began in 1279? I'll, I'll paraphrase it. So Kublai Khan invaded, defeated the Song dynasty, and established a dynasty that lasted for about a hundred years. What was the Chinese name for that dynasty? Oh. Um, it's probably not one of the ones that I can remember, because the ones I can remember are... Yeah. Um... The one, like the ones that I've memorized, are like the the sort of major, like long ones. Um, yeah, I don't know. What is it? Uh, it would be the it's the Yuan Dynasty. Ah, uh, okay. Yes, that is Oof. like vaguely ringing a bell. All right, so I will take my zero points. Oh no! I'm oh, gonna. <laughs> I'll put them with my other zero points. Um, oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> no, really that's. Did... I really. I I. Th- I clearly have to calibrate differently. I'm not putting you down at all. I, I clearly should have been able to get at least Checkpoint Charlie and comfortably comfortably numb. Yeah. Okay. That's okay. We're I'm learning listeners. Next week. <laughs> That's right. So you can make it as hard as you want. Just like, just crush me. <laughs> Do you want to try and give a prediction of next week? I can, I can quickly speculate. I... I'm aware sure. that you're not allowed to say anything to confirm or deny any speculation that I might have. That is 100% true. So, but Monday, we have you going up against uh, Anarchy Garcia and Gil Collins. And, you know, I think I like you for that match. I, I, I think I, I just, I, I have a good feeling. I, 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 they're both strong competitors. And I watched, you know, I watched both of their runs. I, I remember both of their runs. Um, but, you know, my, I, I don't know. I feel like I have to, I have to go with my co-host. I think, I think I would like you for that regardless. Um, but, 
I don't know, as somebody who uh, lost on Jeopardy, you want to see the person who beat you become a legend because, you know, <laughs> the better right. you do, uh, the, the, the less embarrassing it is that I didn't win any. Um, sure. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I totally get that. Yeah. Um, all right. So you're going to win on Monday. That's my plan. Okay. Um, that's, that's the plan. <laughs> Uh, on Tuesday, we've got Rob Warman and uh, Drew Gar, and uh, we've got Rachel Lindgren. Um, and I don't remember these three as well, but looking at their stats, Drew has a little bit of an edge uh, in terms of his past performance, so I'm going to go with him. Going into Wednesday, we have James Holtzauer up against Lindsay, Lindsay Schultz, and Alan Dunn. And uh, I mean, James, huge record breaker and, you know, sort of a pop culture phenomenon. Lindsay, I I loved watching her play. Um, she got so much flack on social media because people didn't like how she held the buzzer. Oh, I know. And Get I have that. no patience for that. Yeah. Um, yeah, like you just, I don't care what someone's doing with the buzzer. If it gets them in to answer the questions, then they are doing exactly the right thing with the buzzer. So that's my that's my soapbox moment for this. And uh, I I mean everyone in this in this tournament is strong. It it's hard to imagine James not making it through the quarterfinals. I'm guessing he's gonna win that, but I think that they will give him more of a run for his money than people are used to seeing because he has you know for his whole run he went up against um people who were uh with the exception of the of the returning champion he unseated it was it was people's first time on jeopardy these these folks know you know they've they've prepared they've watched his games they know how things work they've been successful so i think it's going to be a closer game than people have seen with james before but i think he'll win thursday we have josh hill we have eric backus we have Emma Betcher. I remember all of them pretty well. Um, it's, I think it's going, I, I mean, there. Were, I think most of these are, it's hard to imagine anything being anything but a close game. But I think Emma as the contestant who defeated James is stronger than, than people give her credit for. Um, she's my prediction for Thursday. Friday, we have Ryan Fenster. Um, he, uh, his run was in two parts. He, um, he was ruled incorrect on a, was it a final Jeopardy or was it? It a, was a final Jeopardy. Yeah, yeah. He was ruled incorrect on a final Jeopardy and they, uh, subsequently reversed that. Um, so he got to come back and continue his run. Um, we've got Stephen Grade and we've got Francois Barkham. Ryan's run I remember well, uh, Stephen's less well, Francois's. I may not have been watching at that time, uh, but Francois' stats look really strong. I he looks very strong. Um, so my guess would my prediction would be Francois for Friday. Uh, so those are my guesses for the winners. And I mean, we could really go any direction, and um, it's hard to say for sure. I I could see um, if those are if if those. Five are the winners. You, Kyle, Drew, James, Emma, Francois. We still have four wild card slots. 
and just thinking about um, Corey at scores and you know the people's people's history and stats in your game versus Anarchy and Gill, um, I I'm betting that a wild card is going to come out of there. So my guess would my prediction would be that you win and Anarchy gets a wild card, but you know who knows. I think that I mean we'll see how things go with the Wednesday game with James and, and the buzzer. But I wouldn't be too surprised to see uh, Lindsay or Allen get a wild card if they can find a daily double. I could see Steven getting a wild card on Friday, um, Eric on Thursday maybe. Um, but honestly, we've got 15 really, really strong players going in. So. Um, yeah, and the wild cards are hard. Like pr- trying to predict wild cards yeah. is, is pretty tough. But we, you know, we, we have your predictions for the winners. Yep. It's going to be uh, really exciting to watch. I'm excited to see what happens. Yeah, I am. I mean, I got to watch them in person, and I'm really excited to watch them too. So, all right. Uh, well, we should wrap this up. And thank you for thank you for your predictions. Yeah. I think we will have a lot to talk about next week. Uh, when, like whether it's talking about how very right you were or talking about how very wrong you were. <laughs> I was uh, over <laughs> on the quiz and over on the predictions. <laughs> um but yeah that uh that is gonna do it for us all right well uh i guess we should thank our listeners for um uh what do you call it i was going to say tuning in but that sort of evokes a radio dial thanks for tuning in in any case yeah thanks for spending your time with us we appreciate it make sure that you uh subscribe and review we are up on iTunes. We are up on Google Play. We are up on Spotify. Uh, and if there are other apps that you use that are being a little slow on the uptake, uh, we will make sure that that gets taken care of as well. So uh, whatever whatever medium you use to find your podcast, make sure you subscribe to that. And if you have a review option, go ahead and uh, go ahead and just slide us a few stars. Help us out. Yeah. You can find us on Facebook at Potent Potables. Um, you, can, you can follow us on Twitter. Uh, we're, we're Potent Potables 1 because somebody grabbed the Potent Potables handle and I think has basically not used it. Um, <laughs> that's fine, though. It's fine. We can be Potent Potables 1. Uh, and uh, we'll catch you next week when we will be back to talk about the first week of the Tournament of Champions. I am so pumped. I am pumped. Uh, oh, my gosh. People think I am completely insane when I get so excited about these Jeopardy tournaments. I'm so <laughs> excited. It yeah. Yeah, it'll be it'll be pretty good. Yeah, we'll have a lot to talk about for sure. For sure. We might not talk much about actual content. We'll just talk about the shows. All right. Anyway, we'll catch you all next week. So until next time, may your minds be quick and your buzzers be quicker. Oh.